Uh, I like things that are predictable and, and hard because most people uh, don't want to do things that are hard and take patience. And that's, that's where I like to live these days. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everyone, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I am really excited for today's episode because I'm going to sit down with Adam Hudson, who you probably know as one of the world's most celebrated thought leaders when it comes to Amazon sales. You've likely seen him on The Brian Tracy Show or Eventual Millionaire, ABC News, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, you name it. He has been everywhere. So I'm really honored to be sitting down with this expert teacher because that's what he's going to do. He is going to teach us the ins and the outs of being a successful retailer and on Amazon. Now, what you're really going to love him for though, are the stories that come from his giving heart. I can promise you that you're going to leave this episode inspired to do better than before you got here. Now, speaking of inspiring you to do better, that is our goal, myself with this podcast and as a entrepreneurial coach. And imagine this, imagine if you had two back-to-back half days in our home where my team becomes your team working solely on your business and nothing else. Imagine this as well. Imagine us putting you on an airplane, no matter where you live, flying you to Los Angeles here, putting you up in one of our favorite hotels, and then coming to our home for those two half days back to back, allowing our team to find new revenue and to boost your income in your business and to create a list that you leave with of what to do next and when to do it by. That is what our VIP days look like. It's a game changer for every business that has been involved. We have found hundreds of thousands of dollars per year new revenue. And for one person, over seven figures more revenue. So listen, if you are interested in having one of our VIP days here in our home with our team, with myself, and with everyone who's going to roll up their sleeves to make your business better, then all you have to do is email dakota at fortheloveofmoney.com. Again, email dakota at fortheloveofmoney.com. Put VIP day in the subject line, and we will make sure to start that conversation to see if it's a good fit for you. Again, dakota at fortheloveofmoney.com. Put VIP day in the subject line, and we will get started on blowing up your business. Now, speaking of absolutely crushing it in the business world, Adam Hudson has built several multi-million dollar companies. But what you're really going to love him most for, quite honestly, is his giving heart. I mean, right away in the first few seconds, I realized I love this dude. So we go really deep on his journey of taking his first major company public, having it all, and then falling victim, like many people did, to the economic downturn. But what you'll really love is how he explains the gifts that he received by going through that experience, how he became a better person going forward. Now, Adam's primary business today is 
as the founder of Reliable Education. It's a seven-figure Amazon seller. Adam is one of the most highly sought-after Amazon experts and coaches, and they specialize in teaching new and even established Amazon sellers how to actually really stand out and have a, a thriving, profitable business on Amazon. They lift the veil on the entire process. And he actually explains in this interview that anyone can do it. And most importantly, he tells you how. So you're going to love that part if you have ever thought about selling on Amazon or if you are selling on Amazon as we speak. Adam is also a passionate philanthropist, having funded over 6,000 interest-free microloans to entrepreneurs in third world countries. Now, if you don't know what a microloan is, you're about to learn, and I think you're going to be inspired and even come up with a couple of ways that you could make a huge difference for those with a rather small contribution. You're going to love that part. He's also helped more than a thousand blind people either get assistance or be healed as a result of his giving. And you're going to love the story around that. So listen, Adam's view on the world and his view on our role of being successful, it's really just a beautiful thing. And as a matter of fact, it's so beautiful that you're sure to leave this episode a much better person than before you started it. So get ready, listen up, because honestly... This episode is incredible. Adam Hudson, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Really good. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Totally my privilege. And thank you for making time all the way on the other side of the world. So offline, what the listeners can't see is Adam just showed me his amazing view of the ocean while he is in Australia right now. It's You got a good setup, man. <laughs> Thank you. I love the ocean. I live right on the sand and uh, it's so beautiful here. Absolutely gorgeous. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. I start my show with rapid fire. It's a fun way to help all my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And then if something really good comes up and we want to circle back around and do a deep dive on it, we certainly will. Does that sound good? Fantastic. All right. Let's warm this thing up. We'll start real easy. Where'd you grow up? Uh, in Australia, in a, a town called Queanbeyan, which is a little town outside of Canberra, which is also a little small town. <laughs> so, and I know, the an- I know the answer to this, but where do you live now? I live in a place called the Gold Coast, which is about an hour flight north of Sydney, sort of in the middle of the eastern seaboard in Australia on the beach. Got a lot of friends there, a gorgeous area. Uh, favorite quote? Oh, wow. Oh, look, I think Mahatma Gandhi, to, uh, to find yourself, you need to lose yourself in the service of others. Ooh, so good. I know you're living that life. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. What is one of your superpowers, Adam? Oh, for me, it's probably uh, communication is, is really what I'm great at and what I excel at. Being able to articulate uh, concepts and, and ideas really well. That's an important one to have. What is one of your favorite books? Oh, wow. One that I read recently on the entrepreneurial side is a book by Gary Keller called The One Thing. I think that's an absolute game changer. And also uh, The Untethered Soul uh, on the spiritual side was a game changer as well. They were two of the best books I've read in the last uh, five years probably. So surprising, I have not read either one of those books. Uh, my wife has read them both and everybody raves about those two. Good choices. A couple more here. <laughs> Who is someone who's changed your life? Oh, wow. Um, uh, well, a guy called Rick Cowley, who nobody would know, but he runs small um, sort of retreats in Bali for entrepreneurs who have sort of uh, at a crossroads in their lives. Um, and uh, professionals that are looking for meaning after 40. So 
yeah, I've done two of his retreats and they were really, really special. Oh, I love that. Retreats can absolutely be life-changing. A couple more. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far? Look, I think sharing the stage and speaking at a Tony Robbins event was kind of a highlight, but also the charity work, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, has been a real game changer for me that we've been involved in at the ground level. It's been really life-changing as well. I love it. And then what is something you've done that is generous recently? <laughs> well, two days ago, I was giving money to a homeless guy on the street. Uh, but in a bigger picture, we, um, we're just about to uh, raise a quarter of a million dollars for a new eye surgery mobile eye clinic to heal the blind in Indonesia. We do a lot of work up there. We've, we've um, funded thousands of surgeries now. Um, so we're just about to try and raise that next week at our student summit. I'm pretty confident we'll get there and we're, we're going to give a quarter of a million dollars away to build one of those mobile eye clinics. Oh man, good for you. I love it. Last but not least, what are you grateful for today? Oh, so much. <laughs> uh, I count my fingers and my toes and the fresh air in my lungs every morning as huge blessings. And I walk on the ocean every day and I just, I feel deeply grateful from every cell in my body about just being here, let alone all the other ridiculousness in my life. <laughs> Man, I love it. I, I already love your energy, what you stand for. So I want to take you back to start things off and go a little bit deeper. I want to take you back to 2005. And mm -hmm. you've just co-founded one of the first crowdfunding platforms in the world, right? So you're like setting a trend here. And it went on mm -hmm. to raise in excess of $100 million for people, startups and early stage businesses. Take us back there. Where'd that idea come from and how in the world did you pull that off? So I, I got introduced randomly to a, a guy who was in his uh, late 50s who had identified this opportunity within Australian legislation for small businesses to raise money without full disclosure requirements of doing an IPO or a full registered prospectus. So uh, like in the, in the US, you'd have to register the documentation with the SEC. So he'd identified this area of law that allowed small business owners to raise up to $2 million with, with very low costs involved in doing it. And nobody in the country was exploiting that little area of unknown legislation. And I said, dude, this is really kind of a big idea. And he said, I suck at marketing. I don't know how to get it out there. So I partnered with him and um, we took that concept, we productized it and took it to market and grew quite a successful business uh, doing that. So. I love entrepreneurs. I love working with them. I understood them. So we started running workshops and then we got brokers on board and, and we grew the business and eventually put it on the stock market itself as a company. That's incredible. And this was the first company you ever took public, right? Right. Yeah. And that was at what, 30 years old? Yeah, I think I was, what am I, 30? Yeah, so probably mid-30s, 34, 35 years old. Yeah. All right. So congratulations. Everything was looking good, going fine. And then the economic slide hit. Is that right? Exactly. 2008 came along. Crunch happened about three or four months after we went public and uh, nobody wanted to invest in early stage companies. There was so much froth in the market at that time. People were making money left and right. They were diversifying into high risk early stage stuff, which is what we specialized in. And basically it just stopped. Our stock price just plummeted to nothing. I went from having an eight figure paper net worth to having a few hundred grand of stock that I couldn't even sell. Wow. So how were you feeling in that moment? You were riding a high. Everything was amazing. Your early 30s took a company public. Did you kind of think it was going to be that way forever? Yeah, of course. I thought I was a superhero. Um, but uh, there's nothing like a hugely uh, a huge lesson like that to really 
teach you some valuable stuff. And at the time, it was super painful, but it taught me so many valuable lessons. I had to fire sale my investment portfolio of, of, of properties. Only a small, I have five houses, and I had to sell them at the worst possible time. I pumped the money into the company to save it. Spent two years working for free. But I really learned so many, so many valuable lessons about people, about employees, about the value of money, about when to hold them, when to fold them, all that kind of stuff. And it really made me grow up as an entrepreneur um, and understand real value and real sustainability in building businesses. Those experiences always do kind of give us those lessons. What's the most important gift that this rough time gave you? Uh, I, I think humility for one. When, when I was younger, you know, you sort of think you're on top of the world. So don't, not taking anything for granted ever. Um, if times are good, celebrate because they won't always be. And if times are bad, celebrate because they won't always be. You know, life is seasonal, you know, and that's the way of it. So, and it's in, in, in different waves and different stages in our lives, different places in our lives. We're experiencing summer somewhere and winter somewhere all at the same time. So, yeah, I just think gratitude is a big one, but also, you know, really assessing what is in the market and not letting it sort of run away with you. And really, it's, it's easy to be an optimist when, when things are going great, but I think it's also healthy to have, uh, have this, the cynic and the skeptic a little bit alive in you all the time so that you sort of got both feet on the ground. I love that. You just dropped some great one-liners in there. And you've gone on to have a hand in building multiple, multiple multi-million dollar companies, right? So overall, massive smashing success story. Where did this mm. entrepreneurial spirit come from? <laughs> you know, it's funny, Chris, because I, I have been asked that question many times. And I was at a Tony Robbins seminar in my early 20s. And Tony was like, did this process where you identify the nexus of your entrepreneurial ambition or the, those, those real pivotal moments. And it came down to an argument with my dad. My dad, you know, I thought as a young guy, ruled the house with an iron fist and was, you know, I didn't like his rules. And one day I had this, you know, blaring argument with him. I think I was 14 or 15. He said, if you don't like it, then you can go and make your own money. And there and then in that moment, I was so angry. I was like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to make more money than you. And I was in this Tony Robbins seminar and I realized that's a pretty negative motivation. <laughs> so that's where my initial ambition to, to do well came from. But I, I was kind of born with it, honestly. Like I, I was dropping newspapers as a kid, working at McDonald's, mowing lawns, doing anything to make a dollar from as early as I could. It just seemed to be something I was interested in early on as well. It's funny. I, I kind of have that feeling or that spirit as well. So you were, first, you were first motivated by a negative drive. What motivates you now? Now, really, making a difference in legacy is what motivates me. I already have more money than I need now um, to, to be happy. And I, I'm, I'm not somebody that wants to keep comparing and, and trying to be the richest guy in the room. Um, so now I just I get such a thrill out of the idea of building a business like Paul Newman, where it works and it goes on beyond the entrepreneur and it, and it makes a difference in perpetuity. And that's what I love about capitalism, positive capitalism, is that a well-structured business with a sustainable product and market can give indefinitely um, to good in the world and make a real impact. So the idea of this mobile eye clinic that we're going to be um, purchasing and giving to them, you know, each of these things, they've got two of them now. Each one's uh, freed about 30,000 people from blindness. So this new one's going to enable them to reach another 30,000 people. So the idea of ending my business year and that knowing that, you know, no matter what else happened, 
X amount of thousand people that were blind at the start of the year have now got their eyesight back as a result of our business in perpetuity is just amazing to me. And I really love that concept. Oh man, I love that. And I couldn't agree with you more. Of all the businesses that you've had a hand in building, what's been your favorite and why? Oh, I think that the, the businesses that I have now, I have five companies now and one of them at the core that kind of feeds out into the others. And that's my education company that I run, Reliable Education, teaching people how to sell products on Amazon. But honestly, like, you know, we, we teach them how hard it's going to be and how challenging the market is and how Amazon's absolutely saturated with good products, but it's, it's not saturated with great products. So we teach our students the journey ahead and um, in a real way. And as a result, they're smashing it and doing so well from all over the world. And it, but, but the business is about much more than that. Amazon's really just a Trojan horse, which meets people where they are, which is they perceive that they need more money. And, and truly, they probably don't need more money. They just need to change the terms on which they're making it. So we meet them with that problem, but then we help them evolve through the hierarchy of needs from you know money into meaning. Uh, our bigger vision is is um, educate, liberate, amplify their success, and then teach them to give back in a meaningful way. That's our sort of mantra. Oh man, I love that. So that's a good segue because that's the direction I wanted to go next. Reliable education. Your core business now is teaching Amazon sales, right? It is. Yeah, I started Amazon as a side hustle. I had an animation company which I launched in 2011, sold it in 2015. But while I was running that animation studio, uh, I wanted a side hustle because I knew I wanted to move back to Australia and live on the beach. So I started selling products on Amazon in 2011 for fun and it turned into a multi-million dollar business. And then people were like, dude, how did you do that? How did you set that up? I started teaching friends and family. Then I wrote a course, an online course, and that's now turned into a multi-eight-figure business on its own. And so we teach people around the world how to do that. And then we own a software company and we own a bunch of other things that serve our clients from that space. Um, so yeah, that's basically the the little... Uh, network of businesses. Okay, Adam, I love this because so many listeners are on Amazon selling their product in one form or another. So can anybody be successful in Amazon sales? Look, they absolutely can. And, you know, I've owned, you know, uh, 20 businesses or so in my life. I, since I've been 20, I've been working for myself. But the only one I've really built that I can teach somebody else to do is Amazon. You know, it's over the last three years since we've been teaching it, our students have collectively done a quarter of a billion dollars in sales on Amazon. Our top student does about $70,000 US a day in sales. And we're giving out 55 sales awards next week at our summit, ranging from $10,000 a month up to $400,000 a month in sales. These are the awards that they get. So yeah, we've got kids as young as 12 and 13 years old selling on Amazon successfully. Or people from all walks of life, because it's agnostic to your age, your sex, your religion, where you live. It is all about what value you can add to the marketplace. And so, um, but Amazon's a mature market. So you really need to be creating something awesome and then protecting that awesomeness using design patents and so on. So that's what we teach. We teach a higher level approach to going into what is, you know, Amazon's now 52% of all online sales in America. So think about that. Every website in America that sells anything at all, add them all together and they sell less than Amazon sells on their own. And two thirds of Amazon's revenue is earned by private sellers like myself. So those are two phenomenal statistics um, that really blow people's minds when they think about that. Okay. Let's like really paint a scope because there's a lot of people sitting on the edge of your seat right now saying, wait, this is it. This is my idea. Of all your students, what do you think the average income is and how long does it take them to get there? So 
let me, I'll answer that and I'll just back up a little bit further for you because I think this is, there's some really important data here for people to understand. So last year, 1.2 million, so there's 2 million active Amazon sellers in the world today. Um, last year alone, there were 1.2 million Amazon seller accounts opened. Of those, less than 2% will actually list a product on Amazon. So more than 98% will be closed within 12 months and uh, only 2% will list a single product because people get all excited, but it's not an easy journey, right? You've got to source a product from China. So you've got to, usually from China, you source a product from a country you've never been to that speaks a language you don't speak. And then you've got to send it to a market if you're living outside of the US that you've probably never been to either and sell to people and you're never going to touch it because it goes into Amazon's warehouse. It's, it's kind of like alchemy, right? So it's a, it's a challenging thing. Out of those 2%, that's 2, 2% out of 1.2 million last year, there was only 16,000 roughly net new accounts opened in the US. So the failure rate before people actually go live is unbelievably high. So those are the, 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 the first stats. So we celebrate in our community when somebody makes their first dollar in online sales because for them, it's like landing on the moon. They've spent their whole life swapping time for money in a job. Now, because most of our students at the moment are in Australia, they go to bed at night while you guys are awake in America. They wake up in the morning, they check their seller app and boom, they've got 10, 50, $100,000 in their account. This is just game changing from a belief perspective that all of a sudden they have stopped trading their time for money and they're getting rock star income, which is income that comes in without you working, do the work once, get paid forever. And from there, then they really tend to ramp up and build. So of the students that go live, and that's in our community, we have students that we privately coach and students that choose not to be privately coached. Of those that get private coaching, 85% of those students go live within a year. Of the rest, it's about 50% that go live within a year. And look, I don't have the data of the average, but I, I don't know, I guess, the, I don't know, if I was to guess, I would say uh, five to 10,000 a month in gross sales would be the average. And then you've got a, a bunch of people that do substantially more than that. But we're still young. We're only three years into the journey. Okay, this is fascinating because it sounds like you really have to have patience in getting set up because it doesn't start churning money until maybe a year in if they're doing it right. Yeah, and if you're doing it right, you won't make money for another year or two after that. And 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 this is what people don't want to tell you in the online course space, right? So there's lots of guys out there standing in front of Lamborghinis and saying, get rich on Amazon. But... What they don't tell you is it, it takes six to nine months to launch a product properly because you could. most people have got jobs and this is going to be a side hustle, right? So take your time, make it a hobby. Don't put unnecessary pressure on yourself. Really, the key is to find a great niche and a, a clear um, commercial advantage that you can identify with a product you want to introduce into that niche. That's where the work is. And then sourcing the product, getting the product how you want it, and then getting it into the market. If you do it right, you will be rewarded. But people often rush. So if you take six to nine months to do it right, and then the product takes off, like for a good example, some dear friends of mine in Sydney just went live last week. They spent 18 months because they're busy people, finally went live a week ago, and they're already at $1,000 a day in sales at about 35% net margin in their pocket. They're over the moon. It was totally worth waiting to find the right product for them because there's 250 million products to choose from on Amazon. So they're smashing it now, but they did. They laid the foundation correctly. And the reason I said if you're successful in the first year, you won't make any money for another two or three years is because 
successful products on Amazon, they have very, very deep markets there. Like for example, dog seat covers is a $2 million a month business just on page one. So the first 20 listings on Amazon are doing $2 million a month between 20 listings. It means the average one's doing a couple hundred grand a month. So to actually inventory, to get enough inventory to stay in stock, for most people is going to be a process of getting their profits, reinvesting, buying more inventory, getting their profits, reinvesting, buying their inventory. They're going to feel poor for the first couple of years because every dollar they get, they're buying to put back into growing their inventory base. And then they get to a point where every time they turn that inventory over at 30% margin, it's more than enough that, that, than they need to live on. But for the first four years of my Amazon career, I just kept reinvesting because the market was so much bigger than my budget to invest in inventory. And then in the fourth year, I tapped out. I had enough money that I was always in stock. And then I went and bought a Bentley convertible cash from one month's trade. Um, so <laughs> that was what I, yeah, that's my story. So. Yeah. Man, I absolutely love it. So in other words, delayed gratification really is the secret here. And that's what's probably what trips people up the most. Is that the biggest mistake is they try and rush it or they won't have these patients? A hundred percent. People, you know, people go into business and they often go in, they might buy a course where the expectations were set poorly for them. And when the reality doesn't meet the expectation, they quit. But let's think about it. You know, like if it takes you three years to stop being a slave in a job to be financially free through Amazon, that is an amazing bargain, right? And most people we're finding in this in the category on online now buying courses, they're ready to hear the truth and they're happy to sign up for that deal as long as what they're building is actually real. And most wealthy people, they're reinvesting their money for a long period of time. They live conservatively, they build their business, they reinvest the profits into real estate. And that's what we teach. That's what I've done in my own life. I've got a large commercial property portfolio and I have enough cash flow coming from my assets to never work again in my life outside of business. And that's what I teach people. Build your business. Once you've got it stable where you want, either sell it, get yourself out of debt and do another one or put the money into real estate and keep building your business. This is amazing. It's like no other, it's really like every other business is what I'm trying to say then. It's, you're supposed to be reinvesting your revenue in the beginning into continuing to grow this business. And I feel like that's where everyone falls short in every business. Uh, look, 100%, you know, a friend of mine, Garrett White, you know, he's a great podcast as well. And he, uh, he just did one, uh, an episode on, you know, how the number one place to invest your money is in your business. Like, where can you go and put your money? Like people go, oh, I'm going to learn, you know, stocks and they might get five or 10% return a year, right? You put it in your own business and get five or 10% a month. But and entrepreneurs just need to double down there. Why would you take your money out of your business and put it somewhere like that while you're still growing? And as Gary V, I, I toured the country with Gary Vaynerchuk, I'm speaking to her and he said something super interesting. He said, when you're early in the wealth creation process, you can't play defense. You have to play full on offense. You have to go. And most people are early in their career and making money, even in their 40s, they don't even have a million dollar net worth yet, right? And these days that's not gonna liberate you. You need 10 million to be really liberated. So if you're not at 10 million yet, you need to go hard and aggressive and double down. That, that's just the reality of the world we live in now for, for most people. So, you know, there's too many people playing defense when they need to be playing offense. And, you know, don't worry about the Ferraris and all that stuff. That, that'll all come in time. But, you know, like I took nothing from my Amazon company for four years and I had three other companies going at the same time. So, and that's why I became successful because I put every dollar back into the business and I grew my inventory base started with 20 grand in inventory and I had hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory all paid for through the business. 
I've just compounded the money. Every time I turn my money over, I'm making 30 to 40 points on it and I'm turning it over every 90 days. Where can you go to compound your money like that? Outside of business, you can't. No, you really can't. Okay, you're dropping huge advice left and right. I absolutely love it, Adam. I want to kind of shift focus a little bit because you're also an active investor in other people's businesses, not just your core businesses. And I'm doing some of this right now as well. And and so I think that you hold equity in several startups. Is that right? Look, I do, Chris. I, I probably need to update my bio because, you know, I really only now invest in businesses where I have a, a influence over them and direct control. And the reason is I, I, I made a bunch of money. And when I was making that money, I thought, oh, it's exciting to invest in early stage companies. And I invested with some of the best in the world. You know, I put some money in with Tim Ferriss and some other people into some early stage stuff. It's super, super, super risky to invest in companies you don't control. And it's a super, super, super long timeline to get an outcome. <clears throat> so out of the, the four startups that I invested in um, with some of the top investors in the world, two of them have gone broke and two of them are doing quite well. But I don't expect to see a, an IPO or an exit for another maybe three, four years. So it's kind of like a black hole type of investment. These days, I, I really only put money into businesses that I have influence over or, or control. And I put money into commercial real estate. That's it. I don't do anything else. I get approached all the time. But it's just, no, those are the, that's my, my strategy. And really now it's just commercial real estate because I'm done with building businesses. I love it. Okay. So do you have a favorite one that you've invested in? Uh, you mean of the companies that I control or outside of? Uh, the ones that you have a... Uh, let's say a um, stake in right now, whether you have control in it or not. Yeah. So one of the companies that's become quite successful is our software company called Zonguru. So it's a piece of software that helps Amazon sellers do their research on Amazon. So let's say you're looking on Amazon, it's a Chrome extension as well as a SaaS product online. But so you're on Amazon and you click on this button, it tells you how much per month every product on that page is making. So you can do all your research. It changes your experience of surfing Amazon dramatically. And that's turned into a multi-million dollar business now as well. And we've been building that now for three years. And we have thousands of clients all over the world that use that software every month. SaaS is an amazing business. It's very slow to build and it's very expensive to build. But once it's built, it's a hugely valuable company. And uh, I like things that are predictable and, and hard because most people uh, don't want to do things that are hard and take patience. And that's, that's where I like to live these days. And they usually provide a pretty good exit as well. Right. Yeah. You look at really good valuations on them. So, you know, my, my key has been to make sure that with the education business that we diversify into, uh, you know, when you're an expert, it's hard to sell that company, right? That's the one thing that I don't like about the education business is that they're difficult to actually turn into what I would call a real business that somebody else could buy off you. So um, we made sure that we diversified. Now we have several companies worth, you know, millions of dollars that are real companies that people could acquire. I love it. And what you said in the beginning really caught me. You said, hey, listen, I have enough money now to be comfortable for the rest of my life. I'm not really doing it to be the richest guy in the room anymore. That's not your driver. But your driver is impact. And this is what I really wanted to get to in this interview. because so I know that you are having a huge impact on several causes out there. So let's shift to generosity for a moment. You're a passionate philanthropist. Uh, I know that you funded over 6,000 interest-free microloans to entrepreneurs in third world countries. And more than 1,000 blind people have also you know, gotten help or been healed as a result of your giving. So let's first talk about the 
micro loans. I bet a lot of people listening don't actually realize what these are and that they're available out there. Yeah. And I want to just broadcast this little message in advance of telling you about these to those sitting at home going, dude, that's awesome. You've got money. I'd love to do it. I have no money. That's cool. I totally get it. It's a, it's a process of getting to here. That being said, if you're an early stage entrepreneur, I cannot encourage you strongly enough to build into your business plan from day one to give because what it does is it inspires your employees. It, it's a story and a narrative to amplify to your customers and it totally shifts the way the company, uh, the customers, suppliers, employees see you and everybody is craving meaning through their work. So as a leader and an entrepreneur, if you create that meaning and not just a financial you know, objective, you will find that every aspect of your business, the relationships and the people that are going to run it are going to be deeper and stronger. So do it from day one. Those micro loans, we did that from the very course, first course that we sold. So every course we sell, we do a micro loan to um, an entrepreneur. So how it works is there's an organization in San Francisco called Kiva, K-I-V-A, and uh, they're an amazing organization. You can do a loan of $25 and it's interest-free, and your money goes together with usually about 10 to 20 other lenders. And so it could be like a group of ladies in Kenya that want to start a fruit stall, and they need $2,000 to get going. So we all put our funds together. We lend $2,000 to them. They have what they call field agents who are volunteers that have a book, and they go around and they take payments back from those ladies over a period of time without interest. The ladies pay it back because they understand that their repayment of the loan will empower another person out of poverty. And the repayment rate is about 98%. So the repayment rate on monies lent to people in poverty in third world countries is actually way higher than what it is to wealthy Americans and Australians and Europeans. Can you imagine that? I can't. Because Isn't it's a matter amazing? of Because it's like a, it's, it's more a, of an on your honor thing. It's, it's a matter of pride for these people. They don't want to hand out. They want to hand up. And so that's what we do. So what happens is, and what I love about this idea, is the money then comes back to us. This money sits in our company's balance sheet as an asset because it's not actually given, it's lent. So over the years, we've recycled many of these loans. We gave $25 to one person. That's now gone to, say, 50 different entrepreneurs over the course of the years that we've been doing this. And I was lending to Kiva years before that. So now our portfolio of loans is approaching 8,000 loans that we have in the marketplace which is a combination of ongoing giving with every course that we sell combined with re-lending it. So uh, it's really powerful. We're, we're actually also just doing some work with the Mandela Legacy Foundation and the Egyptian government where we've used the same principle. We gave away a million dollars worth of courses to underprivileged people in Egypt and the government's putting in some funding and we said, why don't you make the funding lending so that it gets repaid and, we, and they're uh, doing that right now. So this concept of loaning to people in third world countries is super interesting and they don't take fees unless you contribute them. So we love that work. Adam, I absolutely love that you're kind of shining a, a spotlight on this because a lot of people don't realize this is there and, and they don't realize how important it is. What do you say to people that make the comment, there's too many things at home to lend money to or give money to. Why do I need to worry about what's going on abroad? Well, I think their definition of home needs to be expanded. There's one blue rock spinning around in outer space and we're all on it. And that's my view of things. I don't see Americans, Africans, Irish. I see brothers and sisters and that's it. Um, 
And so where the pain is, is where I want to help. And so I started with Kiva and then that's been hugely rewarding. And uh, I moved to the eye surgeries because I wanted a tactile experience of the giving. And that was uh, an absolutely earth shifting moment. But I see us as a planetary species. I don't see it as a you know, need being more or less, or I think what's wrong with the world is division. So wow. that's my opinion. So well said. Okay, so where does this giving heart come from? Where does this drive come from? Honestly, I think it came from my mum. She was just one of the kindest people I ever knew. But she would always stop and talk to the homeless and she would go and buy them a meal and sit with them and see if they were okay. And she would do it with us in tow, you know. And she was just, she just loved to give. She was a shy, quiet person. But it struck a chord with me. And, um, and the first time I actually gave, I was reminded of, it's just a reinforcement of gratitude when you give to somebody that has nothing to give back. And um, that's why we do these tours into Indonesia when I take people up, their students, and they experience that they can't speak English and all they can do is look you in the eye and smile and often cry and thank you from the bottom of their heart and you feel it. And once you've had that feeling, it's incredibly addictive and you just don't care about pursuing Ferraris and Lamborghinis quite so much when you go, yeah, I could buy a Ferrari or I could literally change thousands of people's lives with this money. And um, it's a journey. You know, I'm 45 years old now. And when I was 25 years old, I wanted the Ferrari. There's nothing wrong with that. But you change as you've had the Ferraris and uh, you, you venture down life's road. So it's not bad if you're chasing a Ferrari right now. But, you know, hopefully you'll end up um, somewhere else, you know. That is so well said. I, you know, I've taken that journey as well. I'm 41. Do you think it's almost a rite of passage that if you're initially motivated by physical things, that you have to go through and experience getting them, experiencing them, and then realizing it's not as significant or the, um, the payoff or the, the good feeling is not what you quite thought it would be? Look, I think it's a personal journey. There are, there are people out there that are really motivated by giving from day one. And that's what gives me so much hope with the next generation of people coming through. They've seen the folly, I think, of the Trumpian style, gold-plated penthouse on Park Avenue sort of stuff. And they just don't relate to it, you know. I think the young people today are sort of more connected to giving than my generation, which, which I really am inspired by. I think it's a personal journey. For me, it certainly was. I mean, I was so motivated by motor cars when I was young. I wanted a Ferrari or, a, you know, whatever it was, you know. And for me, I certainly had to have it to experience it. And, you know, uh, I had to go through uh, my own journey. Everyone goes through their own journey to reach their own realizations and they have to be experienced. You know, you have to feel it to, to know. And, you know, it's just something that happens with age for all of us, I think. And yeah, we find our own way there. Mm, I'm loving everything you're saying. Do you have a favorite moment of giving that sticks out to you? I ask everybody this question so that... They can inspire others in unique ways to give. There's probably two. One of them was a little girl. She was, she, she was, I think, five years old. She was blind. And I was at this village uh, in Bondawoso. It's on the east coast of Java. She was just the most adorable little child, just a frail, you know, young girl. And they told her, you know, they put her hand in mine and said, This is the man that's paying for your eyes. And she sort of kissed the back of my hand and she put it to her forehead, which is a sign of respect and love in Bali. 
And I just, it just broke my heart, you know, and just melted me. And then she just cuddled my leg and said, thank you in Indonesian. And on that same trip, I was in a taxi and uh, the taxi driver got talking to me and, and he asked what I was doing there. And I told him, and then he showed me the phone, a photo, said, this is my mother. And she just had her eye surgery done and I'd just come from the village. So he was just delighted to have me in his taxi and insisted that I didn't pay for being there. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of moments, but, and also just seeing the, the effect that giving is having on my community of people. I take up hardcore entrepreneurs into Java, you know, and, and they just, they're out of their comfort zone. They're in a hot and overcrowded place, 150 million people on one island. And they go into this place and the government officials welcome us. And then there's sort of like a standoff between the white people and thousands of these Indonesians, who, many of whom haven't seen a white person. And I just smile and walk into the crowd and start giving balloons to the kids. And then it's like on the young and old, you know, they come up, they all want to get a photo with a white person. And they <laughs> love, you watch these entrepreneurs that are all with us just melt and they become rock stars instantly in this world of giving and for the next three days they are just in tears constantly as they watch these old people young people sitting there nervously outside of the mobile eye clinics waiting for their turn to turn to go in i mean it must freak them out they don't know what's actually happening but they know they have to do it because they can't see and the, the sense of community and love is just extraordinary by the time you leave so it's, it's a really powerful experience and i recommend it to anybody who sort of as as just feeling a sense of lack of meaning in their life. You know, if you're trying to find your purpose, lose yourself or in the service of others, as Gandhi said, and it really does, it really is true. Adam, I absolutely love those stories. They definitely uh, are soliciting emotion from me. I know everyone else is going to get it as well. So listen, where can we get more of you and where can we tap into the Amazon classes, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, Instagram's a good place to follow me. Um, I do free coaching every morning for five to 10 minutes. Uh, just on life and um, my observations, very naked, transparent, not literally naked, but vulnerable, <laughs> transparent coaching of, of all the ups and downs of my life. I share it all and there's lots of both. Um, so Instagram is just Adam Hudson official with the underscores between Adam Hudson official and reliable education is probably the best place to find our info on our courses and what we're doing there. Uh, so it's just... Uh, reliable.education, the full word. There's no .com or anything, just reliable.education. And you can follow our adventures in charity. If you want to look at our, if you want to join a charity tour, we're opening them up to the public to come and join us in Bali this year for the first time outside of our students. And the website is reliable.foundation. So uh, you can follow us there if you want to uh, come and join us on a tour and uh, get your boots on the ground and actually experience this stuff. There's no replacement for having boots on the ground. It's the best feeling on a planet. Like people can't quite grasp the concept of how it's going to change their life until they actually go participate. So we will make sure that we have links to everything that you just said in the show notes. Thank you so much. So last question, really curious to hear your answer on this. I want to ask everybody this question. Give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success. Look, for me... You know, uh, you know, I, I saw Grant Cardone last week said, money can't buy happiness, but being broke can't buy anything. And <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of like that point is that, you know, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and say, you know, 
I, I don't need money. I'm not attracted to money. But let me tell you something. Money is how the world spins. And it's hard to make a difference in other people's lives without it. Um, so, you know, a lot of this hard wiring about money being evil goes back to our childhood and even the cartoons that we watched as kids. The bad guy was always the big, fat, rich guy that was evil. And it, and it's sort of programmed into us that it's bad. But in my life, uh, it has been the source of um, um me being able to be in a place where I can serve others through my businesses, through the charities that we have. It is not you that makes the money. Money is just an amplifying glass for your personality in the same way money is. If you give um, money to a bad person, you're going to see an enormous bad person. If you give it to a good person, you're going to see an enormous good person. It just amplifies your personality like alcohol does. So um, that's the way I think about it. Adam, I absolutely love that answer and every single answer you gave us today. Thank you a million times over for being on the show, for donating your time. I know that this is an episode that people are going to leave better than when they first got here. And for, for that, I give you the most heartfelt, sincere thank you. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I love what you do. Seriously, my privilege. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.